Well, happy January, boys and girls. Hope you guys had a great week since last week. I hope you went out and made some money. I hope you did something different this week to get yourself closer to your goal. And well, this week I want to talk about how to get more deals without knowing how to sell. And this started with a lot of folks are not that I talk to on the phone and they call in on the uh, Ask Tyler thing or not, not quite sure when is the right time to make an offer, or maybe they get to making the offer too quickly. And I, you know, knowing the appropriate time to make an offer is, I imagine, something that a lot of folks don't even think about. Well, I can tell you that putting out an offer too soon, well, that can lead to instant rejection. Like if you if you start out that way, it, you can just get a flat no because the seller only has to base the numbers of the offer. And on their decision. What do I mean by that? Well, they don't get, they don't know you. They don't know anything about you. They don't know if you're able to close, not able to close. They don't know you. They don't trust you. So when you make an offer right away without building rapport, you can likely get rejected unless you're willing to make the highest offer. And maybe you'll catch a seller that's not paying it. You'll find this a lot in listed properties, like with realtors and whatnot. You got regular buyers, you know, residential buyers, people, John and Susie Homemaker are going to buy the property. They're going to move into it, right? And maybe they got six, seven offers on the property. And frankly, in my market, one of my markets in Tampa Bay, six, seven offers on a multifamily property is not uncommon. Usually within the first 24 to 48 hours, that's just the nature of the beast. That's how it is. And a lot of you are probably thinking, well, dude, I don't have time to get to build rapport with a seller because if I don't get my offer in right now, it's going to get sold out from under me. So then you kind of got to ask yourself, how are you ever going to win in that type of scenario? Because the backside of that is if you don't put your offer in quick enough, the seller aid probably doesn't know you exist. And maybe you're talking to the seller and asking them a million questions, wearing them out. Maybe they don't think you're serious because you're asking all these questions and you're afraid to make an offer. Maybe they think you're just kicking tires, right? This is something that happens, guys. It, it is, it's reality. So how do you overcome this, right? It seems like, to me anyway, the sellers always want us to make an offer as soon as possible. So ask yourself, why do you think that is? Well, I can tell you that the urgency to receive your offer is usually because of one or two reasons. First, they're either nervous about the selling process, and frankly, for them, it's like pulling off a Band-Aid. They'd rather just get it over with. Or because they think maybe you're just kicking tires and wasting their time. And the last thing they want to do is be focused on you if there's another buyer around the corner that is willing to make an offer and get this problem wrapped up. Because even the least motivated seller on the planet that has a property for sale and it's not selling has a problem. So the last thing they're going to want to do is waste a lot of time dancing with you. If you're anything like me, have you ever worried about saying the wrong things to the seller? Maybe sounding stupid or maybe saying something to upset them or offend them. I know that's happened with me in the past. Now, what I chose to do is to learn to get better at selling. I chose to roll up my sleeves, take some punches, go out there and learn to be a better closer, a better salesperson. But I realize that that answer doesn't fit everybody. I realize that there are a lot of you out there that just don't find the sales process process very inviting and frank. In, in, in fact, it's for you, it might be very painful. And here, I got news for you. There's nothing wrong with that because selling isn't for everybody. Now, I will say this, if you're in a sales type position and you don't, you're not comfortable with selling, you may want to think about a career change. And this especially goes out to my realtor buddies out there. There's a lot of realtors out there. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a consultant. Well, if you're not a salesperson, you are not a realtor. I know you're there to foster relationships and yada, 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 but you don't get paid until you close there, sister, brother. So you better get off your duff and become a salesperson or step aside and let the salespeople take over because you're wasting oxygen. Get out of the field. If you're if you're in a sales job and you're not comfortable with sales, change job. Get into a job that doesn't require sales. And there's lots of jobs out there, boys and girls, that don't include sales. But that's really not going to solve your problem if you're a real estate investor. If you're a real estate investor and somehow you think you're going to get anywhere by not being good at sales or being non-confrontational or being sheepish, I got news for you. You get run over like a freight train. It's You're going to have a real hard time ever getting a deal under contract. And if you do get a deal, it's certainly not going to be a deal. It'll be a train wreck deal. 
It'll cost you money. You'll lose money. And you might be thinking, well, it's not fair. He's beating me up because I, I, I'm not comfortable selling. No, I'm about to give you a solution if you hang out and stay with me. Because there are such a thing as, as real estate investors that couldn't sell a heater to an Eskimo, but have done very well for them. Now, everybody, including me, teaches, every real estate person out there that teaches real estate, all teaches, and, and this goes for realtors too. You know, if you're going to get offers to the sellers and you're going to sit down with them face to face and yada, 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 you got to build rapport. You got to talk about the moon and the stars and the birds and the trees and all these other good things. <laughs> but let's be honest. Number one, not all sellers want to go through that dance with you. First of all, understand that you're going to have meet sellers that are like, just the facts, ma'am. You know, they, they want to get it over with. They don't want to play footsie with you. They want you to make an offer or shut up and get out of their face. On the other side of the coin, you may not be comfortable doing that. You may not be comfortable building rapport. Maybe you're an introvert. Maybe you're the type of person that goes to a party and is not the one with a lampshade on their head. You're more standing in the background, having a conversation with somebody that you already know. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being introverted. Frankly, I'm introverted. I call myself an introverted extrovert. Yes, I'll get on a, grab a microphone, stand on a stage in front of 5,000 people and talk, no problem. But if I go to a party, the chances of me carrying on starting a conversation with somebody I don't know is not great. I will find somebody that I do know, or I will surf around a little bit until I can find somebody that I have a common ground uh, with, and then I will have a conversation with them. But know this, I've got one foot out the door in that situation because I have introver introversion in the back of my mind as well. Now, over the years, I've learned to overcome that. Part of that came from Toastmasters and frankly, sitting in front of hundreds of sellers over the years helps break you out of that. But I realize that especially today, now more than ever, it's very challenging for most people to build rapport. I find it very challenging to build rapport. And I'm, I've come way a long, long way of to be more extroverted than introverted. But I find that based on my surroundings is going to dictate how comfortable I am. For example, like right now I'm recording this, I'm up in my cabin up in the woods. Now everybody here is like Southern charm and very polite. It is that we, everybody's armed. I mean, this is like like the redneck Riviera, but a respectable redneck, right? Smart people that have done well for themselves. They, everybody up here owns their own land and has a John Deere tractor and all that good stuff. And these are good God-fearing people that go to church on Sunday, all that. Not a whole lot of social media influence out here in the woods. I can tell you that. So I find it relatively easy to build rapport with the people here because they share a lot of the same traits and thoughts and belief systems that I do, right? They respect nature and things like that. And they're just calm. They're not all wound up like somebody from, I don't know, Brooklyn. You know, they're not chomping at the bit 10 seconds from freaking out. But if you put me in an environment where I don't know anybody and I don't really identify with the crowd, I'm going to have a tough time building rapport. For example, if you put me around a, I don't know, if you took me to Portland and put me in front of the protesters to try to talk some sense into them, I'm probably not your guy because I'll say, pull up your pants, take the mask off, you coward. There's another color in the spectrum besides black and quit burning shit down. What's wrong with you? But see, I wouldn't do very well getting rapport there. But I'm here to tell you that with what's going on in the world, social media, the pandemic, just plain everyday society, all the stuff that's going around and round and round and round at a million miles an hour makes it ever more challenge ever seen. And it makes it to some degree, to some folks I've talked to, to them, it's virtually impossible to build new relationships because frankly, we've grown into a populace to a race that doesn't trust everybody. We don't trust each other as human beings anymore like we used to. You know, there was a time in the 50s, 60s, and hell, even when I grew up, and I grew up in the 70s, there was a time where you did a deal, you shook hands on it. You look each other in the eye, you shook hands on it, your word was your bond. That handshake, you could take that to the bank and cash it because people just didn't violate a handshake. Hey, we shook on it. That's good enough. These days, they want to see surveillance camera footage and a DNA test and a, a notary and this and that and the other. <laughs> and everybody's trying to screw each other, trying to claw their way to the top, and it's just changed in society. So how do we get 
past this? How do we get overcome the skepticism? Well, for some people, they gravitate to things like text messaging or doing whatever they can to not be face to face. Because when you're face to face, you actually have to have the you have to have the ability to carry on a conversation. You can't just wait to think about what you're going to say. Uncomfortable silence. An uncomfortable silence is not uncomfortable in a text message. So a lot of folks tend to use text text messaging as a way to negotiate. I'm here to tell you guys, like anything, I'm sure it works sometime, but by and large, it's not going to work the majority of the time. You text me, somebody like me, and I get these texts a lot. You want to sell your property at, at 123 Anywhere Street? Well, first of all, most of the time when I receive those, I reply back saying, sure. And I never hear anything after that. I guess maybe they're like, oh my God, we have one. We don't know what to do. Let's run and hide in the closet. So if you're going to market people like that blind and text message, at least respond back to them. But try to get them on the phone because it's going to be really, really difficult to try to build rapport with somebody via a text. And these days, we don't know if that text message is a bot or is that a real person? How many times? I don't know. I've been tricked a lot. Maybe I'm not that smart, but I've been tricked by the bots all the time where I think I'm talking to a regular person and I get about three replies in and realize that I'm just talking to a bot. And that annoys the hell out of me. And when you stick me in a bot, I just get annoyed. I'm done with you. You don't matter to me anymore. I'm done. Bye-bye. So now you're probably thinking, well, if I can't do my my fail-safe text, me- text messaging uh, sales program and I don't want to get on the phone with people and I'm not willing to get face-to-face with people, or maybe because of COVID, you're not able to get face-to-face with people, what do you do? What's the solution? Let's I know. Let's go on Facebook and we'll post it on Facebook. Well, here's the downside of Facebook. Lots of you, and frankly, I'm not innocent here either, have posted things on Facebook that they might not be too proud of as time goes on. Uh, and those things, the seller, God forbid you take your seller over to your social media if you're some sort of you know left-wing or right-wing extreme anarchist. And if the seller's not of like mind, you're in deep doo-doo. You're not going to get very far. Uh, Then, of course, you're also in fear of being canceled in today's society. But you have to understand this. Sellers, in many cases, are more shy and more introverted than you ever thought of being on your best day. But you never thought about that, did you? There are lots of sellers, many sellers. I'd go so far as to say most sellers who are not 100% comfortable with the process of talking to you about selling the largest asset they've ever owned. Fear, confrontation, shyness, These are a huge part of why homeowners hire realtors to sell their homes for them. I bet you guys never really thought about that. How many times have you sat there and thought to yourself, why do people go out and spend 30 grand to hire some schlep realtor to sell their house for them? Geez, they could put it on Craigslist and have it gone in a minute, especially in this market, because they're not comfortable with the process. They don't want to miss any steps. They don't want to screw anything up. Hell, they're just afraid of talking to the buyers. And don't think, you know, a lot of you are thinking, well, that's crazy. It's legit. It's a legitimate thing. It's a real concern. So I t- I'm telling you this because I want you to think about if you're, especially if you're new or you're not having much success in sales or talking to sellers, look at the other side of the equation and think about what they're going through. If you're nervous to talk to them and they're nervous to talk to you, well, what we have there is a crossroads, don't we? How do we get past this? Well, this is where bringing somebody in that has an expertise in sales and closing goes a long way. Okay. The way to overcome these issues is to bring your team in. This is where your team can really crush it. Sales skill is not inside of each and every human. I know you probably think that, especially if you're somebody in sales, you're like, that's silly. Everybody's got sales skill. They just haven't realized it yet. Nope. I'm here to tell you there's a lot of few folks out there that are not comfortable with it, will never be comfortable with it, never going to happen. Uh uh-uh. uh. Having the ability to sell is a rare skill, very rare skill. And it's even more rare to find somebody who's good at sales and also enjoys the process. There's lots of people that will do sales because it's how they eat and maybe even are good at sales, but they hate the process. They loathe it. They feel as if they're a bottom. That's more common than the folks that are good at sales and actually embrace it and enjoy doing it. I, for one, love it. I That is my favorite thing in the world. To get a good solid close makes my day. I absolutely love 
love a close. Not because there's a, not so much always because there's a huge payday at them. Because sometimes I'm, when I'm selling, I'm just selling an idea or a concept that has nothing to do with a, with a payday. Maybe I'm talking to AT&T and I'm solving a problem and I'm using my sales skills. Like recently, I just we just got new iPhones, the new iPhone, whatever it is, 12s or whatever they are. They sent us a package to put our phones in to mail back to turn in the old phones because they gave us, AT&T gave us $700 credit per phone. That's $1,400 credit. Great. Well, guess what? They claim they didn't receive them. So I can call up and be disgruntled jackass. I can be the male version of Karen, whatever that is. But really, chances are I'm talking to somebody in so they could really care less because there's a line on the script for guys like me. If I'm acting like that, they're just going to direct me to somebody else. They're going to say something to, uh, else to drive me crazy. Whatever it is, if I go in swinging a club, I'm probably not going to get the result that I'm looking So I use this and I embrace this as an opportunity to get a resolution with a smile on my face and a smile on their face. Because if I can pull that off, it makes me an even better salesman when I come up to other ops. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but geez, Tyler, I don't A, know how to sell, don't want to learn how to sell, could care less about wanting to sell. It freaks me out. I think salespeople are bottom feeders. Whatever your excuse is, I get it. Trust me. I mean, some people jump out of airplanes for a thrill. I sell for a thrill. One of my clients told me, uh, my investor clients, and I I buy houses for her. It's really what I do. She's a flipper and she depends on me to go out and buy her great deals. And that's exactly what I do is I go out and I buy her houses. I'd work directly with the sellers. I do a couple of them a year for her and she I go out and negotiate the deal. I structure, I'd sign the contract, the whole nine yards and everybody wins. And I love doing it. And she says, I love having you doing this for me because you actually enjoy the hunt. You enjoy the, the, the hunt. For you, it's just, it's entertainment. You're absolutely right. So let's say you're not a rock star salesperson and and frankly, you don't want to learn, as I said a minute ago. Well, here's the thing you can do. You can join forces with somebody who is a great salesperson because here's what I've learned. Now, this doesn't apply to everybody. It certainly applies to me, though. People that are great salespeople usually have lack in other areas. For example, I'm a great salesman. I can close anybody on anything as long as I believe it. But I'm not what you'd call the greatest details. Here's the good news. I have details people in my life. Jill, my wife, being one of them. Jill's a detail person, but she's not a salesperson at all. She doesn't like to sell. She can if she really wants to. She definitely has the skill, but she doesn't enjoy it. So if she doesn't enjoy it, why should she bother? She has me. I'll do the selling. She makes sure all the details are worked out. That creates a great relationship. Now, I'm not suggesting you run out and get married or jump into bed or into a partnership with somebody simply because they can sell. Obviously, there needs to be some sort of synergy there, some sort of balance. You have to be able to bring something else to the table. You have the salesperson in your in your life or in your business, maybe that's an acquisition manager, whatever it may be. They should have their role to work the leads that you go out and provide, or maybe they provide the leads and work them and you handle the details and take it to closing and you manage it after the fact. There's all kinds of ways to structure this, guys. Lots of ways to structure this. And if you get hung up on the how-to part, how to structure this, go to my website, cashflowguys.com, whack that Ask Tyler button right at the top, or go to type in cashflowguys.com forward slash Ask Tyler. Let's get on the phone. We'll talk about some scenarios of how you can compensate the right salesperson, which brings me to how do we find the right salesperson? Well, that you're just going to have to talk to people and let them know what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody that has the ability to sell. Who do you know in your sphere that has the ability to sell? We all know somebody in our sphere that has the ability to sell is good at it. And they may not have real estate experience, but do they really need it? Because at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're buying property. They don't need to have experience to buy a property. What they need is criteria. And if you're the details person, then maybe your job is to learn the criteria. 
What does that mean? That means there's certain indicators you should be having them look for. I only want to buy concrete block 10 plexes in, I don't know, Dallas, Texas. Great. Then send them out after that. Or I only want to buy three bedroom, two two bath concrete block homes in Chicago. Great. Give them specific criteria. Give them lanes to work in. And if it's a 3-2, I don't want to pay more than X for this property in such and such a zip code. Give them, paint some lines on the road. Give them some guidelines to go off. Here's the thing. Why waste time learning to do a skill that you're likely never going to use and ultimately is going to make you feel uncomfortable and attempt it? I had thought about putting a course together or maybe a coaching program a while back on negotiating. But what I realized is that most people I talk to are not comfortable with the process. And no matter how good of a coach I am, I'm never going to be comfortable with the process. So for me to put a course or a training together, well, there's already a million of them out there that are great. There's all kinds of books out there to teach you how to negotiate and talk to people and psychology and all this stuff. I certainly don't need to reinvent the wheel. So maybe instead of having taking some course to learn how to do a task that you absolutely abhor, that you cannot stand, that makes you want to vomit your mouth trying to do, maybe it makes sense to find a salesperson. A lot of them call it wholesalers or whatnot, call them acquisition. I, I'm here to tell you, if you think of, if you consider and actually pull the trigger, I'm bringing in a salesperson to work in your lead conversion results are going to go through the roof if they're good at sales. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we talked about PropStream. If you want pro- to get data and get leads and you want to be able to direct mail to motivated sellers, you go to cashflowguys.com forward slash D-A-T-A. That's cashflowguys.com forward slash data, D-A, D as in David, A as in Apple, T as in Tom, A as in Apple. And you can sign up for a seven-day trial of PropStream. Everyone else is doing it. Why aren't you? And a lot of you probably haven't done it because you're like, well, that's fine. I get leads and this, the phone rings, but I'll be honest with you, Tyler, I'm terrified to answer that sucker when it rings. Trust me, I get it. The way to solve this problem is you do the marketing and when the phone rings, don't have them call your phone number. Have them call your salesperson. They can ask the questions. You can hire an answering service. You can hire Pat Live. If you spend about 20 minutes on Google, you can find an answering service that's real estate specific. Pat Live is one that comes to mind offhand. Now, granted, I've never used Pat Live, full disclosure, because I've always answered the phone myself because frankly, I'm a better salesperson than most people. Therefore, I'm just going to take that role on as my own. That's what I decided to do. But you can absolutely hire someone to answer the phone for you. So you don't even have to go and do that. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Wait, dude, I can't afford to pay a salesman right now. Hell, I can't afford to pay myself. What makes you think I can afford to pay a salesman? Well, I got good news for you. A rock star salesperson, someone that's really good at their craft, does not expect to get paid until they close a deal. This means you can compensate them at the closing or post-closing from the deal itself, which means no closing, no pay. Because after all, you're putting money out to get the leads. You're in this game without any pay until you close. If that's the case, then why should anybody else get paid? You know, a good salesman that believes in their skills is going to be the reason the deal gets done. So paying them to fail doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, I know some of you snowflakes are like, that's not fair. They need at least $15 an hour minimum wage. Bullshit. If they didn't close the deal, they don't get paid. That's how it works. It's kind of like if you don't show up to work, you don't get paid. That actually made some sense prior to COVID. Now people don't show up to work and still get paid. Go figure. Now, Compensation can come in the form of a cash payment at closing, and it can even be financed into the deal. Wait, wait, wait. I know what you're thinking. Oh, man. What did you just say? You can, I can find, I can hire a salesperson. They can go out and get me a deal, and I can finance their commission into the deal. Well, at this point, guys, here's where we go down the rabbit hole for just a few minutes so I can explain to you how this works on the surface. Yes, you can pay out to any vendor pretty much in a deal at the closing table by simply adding the amount of the payout to the sales price and then having the payout listed as a disbursement at the closing. So let me give you an example using our famous $100,000 house. You're under contract to buy a house from a seller for $100,000. You have an acquisition manager that you're going to pay $10,000 to find you a great deal. He finds you a great deal, which is why you're at the closing table. Acquisition manager 
managers owed 10 grand. You just happen to not have $10,000. So what do you do? Well, you change this. You tell the seller that you're going to be paying your acquisition manager a fee out of your money. And because you're paying it out of your money, you're going to add your salesperson's fee on top of the sales price you already agreed to give the seller. Seller's expecting 100,000 minus closing costs. Great. We're going to change the sales price to be 110 and the seller is still going to get his hundred and your salesperson is going to get their 10 at the closing. You're like, well, that's great, Tyler, but I don't have the money. I already told you that. Well, here's the thing. If the property has the value, now this obviously only works if the if you're buying the property for less than what it would appraise for. If you're buying a crappy deal, well, I got news for you. You can't pull this off. So how do you solve that problem? You don't buy crappy deals. Here's the good news. You got a salesperson that's structuring this deal. So if they want to get paid, they should probably figure out a way to get their commission built into this deal, shouldn't they? Yeah. See how, how you mobilize the army to work on your behalf? Yes. See, this works great. So now we're at 110. The property, let's say, appraises at 120. Great. Lots of th lots there. We simply have the title company do a disbursement, $10,000, goes to Jimmy Jojack as his fee, acquisition fee, marketing fee, whatever you want to call it. It would be a good idea if you're using a bank loan to make sure your loan officer, your processor understands upfront what you're doing so that you can work through the process and make sure it flies and doesn't get red flagged by some overzealous underwriter. But guys, if you ask the questions and talk to people, you'll figure out how to do this very easily in your own market. This is why I preach work with one title company that you get to know and that will help you navigate these problems. You know why? Because they've done this before. So why try to guess on the right way to do it instead of just going with the right way to do it by picking a title company that knows what the hell they're doing has done this before and will get this done. Frankly, guys, this is why I don't like doing closings with attorney's offices because nine times out of 10, attorneys are completely incompetent when it comes to pushing paper. And they usually have some paralegal that they grossly underpay to do it for them, who's probably not any more competent anyway because they're willing to accept a shitty paycheck to work in a law office. So at the end of the day, you're, you're just at a bad situation. Title companies, on the other hand, oh, and by the way, they got to stop doing pleadings for a case that has nothing to do with real estate to do your closing, where if you deal with a title company that does closings all the time, that's what they do every day, it becomes normal and routine and the solutions come a lot faster because they don't have to stop and retool to figure out a solution to your individual problem. Now, I realize that some of you live in states where the, the only way you can do a closing is through an attorney's office. And for you, I want to offer a moment of silence. I'm sorry to hear that. There are some good attorneys out there. Uh, there's probably a lot of good attorneys out there that handle closings competently, but I will assure you they're probably a minority. Even my local attorney uses, an, he basically teams up with a local title company to do closings. He used to have a title company himself, but frankly, he found that it was, it was more beneficial for him to do what he's best at being an attorney and leave the title work to the title experts. That just made good sense. And that's smart. See, that's a savvy attorney. That's, that's good, smart business. I respect that. So I didn't mean to get off track there, but I wanted to make sure that we, we, we discussed that and that we were perfectly clear in that. A couple other ways you can bring them in the deal. You can pay them a portion of the, of the monthly cash flow. Like, Hey, Jimmy, if you get this deal for me, I'll pay a hundred bucks a life as long as I own this asset. If I own this thing 30 years, you're going to get a hundred bucks a month for next 30 years. And guys, don't hold me to the numbers. It can be 10 bucks a month. It can be 5,000 bucks a month. It can be whatever the deal can afford. That said, you got to leave some for yourself. You got to leave some for the oh shits. To, you got to pay your, your financial friends, your investors. I mean, you got, you got a lot of things going out, but a good salesperson is going to know the way they prefer to get paid. Frankly, you do a deal with me. I don't want your, your lump sum check. I'd rather take a monthly payment for my services over time. I prefer it that way. I don't want the big commission all at once. Number one, the IRS is going to help themselves to a piece of it right off the top. And if I take my money in payments over time, I can sit down with my CPA and I can develop a forward-looking tax plan, best reduce those taxes over time. That makes more sense than me dealing with it in, in today's tax. And guys, I've paid mortgages or I've paid vendors 
with a note and a mortgage, and then I just record it against the property as a lien. So if I don't pay, they can foreclose and, and wind up with the property. Now, granted, they may be in second or third position, but they still have a lien priority, a lien status against the property. That means they've got a collateralized asset. That's pretty cool because if you hand them cash, what happens? Well, the IRS can help themselves to a piece of it right out of the gate, just like I said. So maybe it's the answer for everybody is not all cash up front. Maybe some people like me prefer to have it in payments over time, stream of income. Don't worry. I'm not worried about you not paying me because you don't pay me. I'm going to foreclose and take the property from you. I know there's equity because I negotiated the deal for you. Remember, it's a great deal. Now, the true salespeople that are interested in doing this, the real winners, the guys that and girls that are just good at what they do, they're all all about that because dollar for dollar, they're going to make more money. They're going to be more successful. You're going to be more successful and everybody wins. The people that are just bullshit artists that are not good salespeople generally are not willing to put their money where their mouth is because they realize that their performance is probably lackluster. They're not going to perform to the level that you might expect. They're going to fail miserably and <laughs> you're not going to have a deal to pay them with, which means they're going to waste not only their time, but your time. So guys, think about the common denominator. Think about how we see the problem and we come up with a solution that isn't really outside the box. If you think about it, Hey, I'm not good at sales. I don't like sales. I'm not comfortable at sales. I'm afraid of it, whatever it may be. Gee, I don't know. What if somebody else did this for me? In every instance, guys, you can sit there and look at these problems and pick them apart and think about, okay, if I don't like doing who else can I bring in with me to do this for me? And here's the deal in the real estate game. You don't have to pay before you play. You don't have to. Title companies get paid at closing. Real estate attorneys get paid at closing. Mortgage brokers get paid at closing. Realtors get paid at closing. Why should an acquisition man? Marketing company. Heck, at some time, I, know, I even know real estate photographers that will get paid at closing. Anything's possible, guys, if you sit down and think it through. And the answer to the question that you never ask is always going to be no. That means if you have somebody out there who you think might be qualified, remember, they don't have to be an expert at real estate. They got to be an expert at people. Frankly, some of the best people in the real estate space I know came from outside the real estate industry. They knew nothing about it. I know agents that have become multimillionaires in their first year of real estate. Why? Because they were great salespeople. They learned those skills before they got a real estate license. The real estate license just gave them permission that they needed from the state to do business. That's all the real estate license did for them. Guys, I hope you found some value in this episode. I hope you, you, you put some thought to this and you bring somebody on your team that's good at sales or you find a weakness that you have right now in your business and you find someone somewhere to plug the hole. Guys, have a great week and I'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.